everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Movie Reel. I'm your host, Kevin Tracy. I'm Samantha Tomlinson, and what do we do on this podcast, Kevin? We talk about movies that we like, don't like, and other movies in between, and dissect them in weird ways and make fun of them. And so we're continuing with our summer movies. So it's July, so earlier we did... Previously, we did the second Independence Day, and now we're going to do the second Mummy, because we did that last year, so the Mummy Returns. And I, okay, first of all, I love this movie. I I love the Mummy movies in general. Like, I think that, I think the Mummy for us was like a bonding. Like, that's one of the things we bonded over. It it really (laughs) was, yeah. And re-watching, I think I actually, oddly enough, I think I saw this one first, because they were both on TV, and... I watched, I think I watched parts of this and parts of the first one. And it wasn't until I like, I think for my 13th birthday, I wanted, I was like super into the mummy by that point. Like that just, <laughs> we had just gotten into him. And uh, I remember for my birthday, at the time, this one was my favorite. And I really wanted the mummy. I got the first one. And then my parents got me the third one. <laughs> and all really, I think truly right i realized all i really wanted was the second one but re-watching him because i went back and forth a lot and re-watching it the yeah. first one is definitely my favorite the first one is one def- definitely the best one first one i think uh, is definitely yeah, one, my favorite. i 100 agree with you on that in terms of both favorite and and which one is the superior mummy but this is not a bad sequel in terms of no, like no it's it, it's a good sequel on a scale uh, of especially yeah on a scale of one to independence day resurgence this is a very good sequel i think oh this this is this is leaps and bound better than than that train wreck i had heard though that apparently the first one was so successful i want to say universal called the director so steve steven or Steven uh, Summers. St- Steven Summers. He, uh, they called him up. And they're like, okay, we need another one because the first yeah, one was I, I, such I, a like a such a smash I, hit. Yeah, I heard that as well. Like within like a couple days after it had released in theaters, they had called him saying like, "Hey, we want you to do a sequel," <laughs> and uh, it it pretty much went like into production uh, pretty soon after the the first one because this movie came out in. Uh, 2001 yeah the first one came out in like 99 yeah i believe yeah i know i was um, thinking so, that too so... like that there is no break and they're supposed to be like it's like what eight years like they think they said nine eight... years later but no, it, it's it's eight years later but the thing is i think like in actuality they're like seven years or like six or seven years apart which makes Kinda, there, there's a couple plot holes that I've noticed uh, while recently watching this. The the main one being is Alex, their son in this movie. He said like a couple times in the movie, "There's like I'm eight years old," but like the timeline of the movie, I think uh, the first movie takes place in like 1926, and this movie takes place in like 1932. That's six years. I thought so... they said, said 33 did... on the on screen. Okay, well, okay, seven years, still, 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 still. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, that would mean that Alex was one years old when uh, Rick and Evelyn just met. That would, that must have been an interesting story. I mean, I had done the math, like, this is, again, this is in the 19, it was, the first one was 1920s, so it does, it's not, it's not unrealistic 
that right after the events of the previous movie, Evie and Rick got married and then had a baby. That's what you uh, did back then. No, but not, I agree. Like, yeah, no, not not at all. But it, it just the yes. timeline. Even even if they just like knock boots like immediately after the credits roll for the first movie <laughs> the timeline still doesn't match it did, up it did, I did think about um, I think of the reason when I was 13 why I loved the second one why I love this one so much compared to the first one was because um, the movie and I will say I give I give this to the movie because I feel like I even a lot, movies today I don't see this a lot they don't tease uh, Rick and Evie's relationship like they are very much in love and they kiss a lot. And I mean this in a good way because I feel like a lot yes. of movies like they tease those moments for the audience and then we don't get them. Whereas in this, like they get they're like they're they're flirting with each other consistently after the whole, uh, you know, first incident, the first incident of the movie with the mummy and they like rescue Evie, they kiss and then later they like they're about to go fight again they're about to be separated they like they they're very they're very much in love and like the chemistry it, it doesn't seem yes. forced at and all which i feel like no they are great together yeah uh rachel weiss and and brendan frazier like they i i could like as a kid watching this i would have genuinely believed like oh they're like actually married like the chemistry between the two of yeah. them was like that on point that it was such a believable depiction of how they met and how he was just so like transfixed by like her passion and, and how she was able to go from kind of like this, like kind of, kind of mousy bookworm to being like, I'm going down an adventure and just kind of getting out of her bubble. And just like, it's like, and she's seeing him as like this, like daring swashbuckling rogue, but has like a gentle side to him. And it's like, kind of, kind of like, like, yeah uh, uh kind of a guardian angel kind of role for the the group and it just makes it seem a little bit more believable that they had such great chemistry right off of the first bat in the first movie and i'm glad that they were able to like, capture lightning in a bottle for the second time for this movie i was waiting like i mean not waiting i guess i've seen this movie but like you almost wish like for a second like somebody even like emotep being like oh you guys got married and like, oh, okay like, like, <laughs> like someone which obviously no one's gonna do that um but even like uh when uh odith show uh odith bay shows up uh yeah Ar- yeah he, Ardeth he is because i think it starts with i thought it starts with an o no it, it's a-r-d-e-t-h bay okay because i swear maybe i'm okay Ardeth, anyway, when he shows up, he's not even, like, batting an eye at this, because, and I, I, to prep for this, I actually watched the first one a few nights ago, and then I watched the last, I watched Mummy Returns last night, and, like, he's there pretty much through most of their relationship, and I think probably the scene where uh, Emotep, you know, takes Evie, and, like, to be sacrificed, and he's like, holding rick back because he does not want to let her go like i think he's there's no way he's I mean, like oh great like he's like I, yeah I, I mean i can generally <laughs> like believe that like he's alex's godfather because the only other male candidate would have been jonathan <laughs> and he's just a total screw up i could totally believe that Ardeth bay is like alex's godfather which 
actually would make sense. He doesn't even bat. He doesn't even bat an eye, Alex, when Artis shows no, up. No, not at all. Like I'm assuming they've obviously probably mentioned him, but even when he shows up, uh, Evie is not like. What artist? Like I haven't seen you in a long time. She's just like, oh, what do you, I mean? I mean, she's and like, she's again, like, I was thinking yeah, she's about like, this. Artith, what are you doing here? <laughs> Deductive reasoning about what's yeah. happening, but like, still. Um, so yeah, what... we kind of went totally off. Yes, it's it's supposed to be. They say I'm pretty sure in the movie they think they said it was nine years later, which it's not. It's like no. Seven. So so. <laughs> Here's the the goof of this movie. In the first movie, which came out in 1999, the first scene where uh, Rick is like fighting with the French Foreign Legion, it's it it says that that scene takes place in like 1923, and then the next scene where they're like at the museum says that's three years later. So that would mean that it's 1926. Yes. I did the research on this. So that, yes, you yes. did the math. And then the Mother yeah. Returns, which came out in 2001 takes the first scene when um, they're getting the bracelet of Anubis in 1933. And Alex screams to his uncle outside of the museum, to Jonathan, I'm only eight years old. So for him to be eight, Rick and Evie would have had to have, <laughs> have him in 1925, and or possibly conceived in like 24. But at that point, they hadn't met. They had they only they met in 1926. The chemistry was that good. <laughs> it it transfixed that... the... the laws of time and space <laughs> so in order for alex to be eight by the time of the events of the movie that would mean that evie had i is either like very pregnant with alex during the events of the first movie or already had him and he's just at home and she's just pretending to not to know rick for some reason he's really smart he just he just skipped a couple he skipped a couple <laughs> years of his own birth <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like instead of st- skipping a grade he just skipped a yes. couple years yeah, I, yeah, it's well, this movie. I think does a pretty good job, though. Of it doesn't offer more than it's willing to answer, which yeah. is fine. But there are things that I do wish that they go explore a little. So the big thing of this movie is that so it's the year of the Scorpion. Evie and Rick uh, all out on their own like little expedition find the bracelet of Anubis, so the bracelet of the Scorpion King, and uh, a whole like group of people are trying to bring back Emotep so he can use the bracelet to rise, find, uh, find uh, you know, find the Scorpion, the, the oasis of Amsher. Defeat the Scorpion King yes, and claim and, the army of Anubis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so so um, the big thing, but the other, you know, with that, we find out that Evie is a, uh, she is a, the pharaoh that Emotep and Anaxunamun killed in the, in the first one in ancient times. She's like the reincarnated daughter of him. And she was the yes. one that protected the bracelet in, you know, pre ancient times, which is how she's able to find it in this one. And, um, we also kind of, it, it doesn't go into, I feel like it should have gone into more depth on it. It just kind of skims the surface. Uh, Ardith Bay sees a tattoo that's on Rick, which means that he's a, 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 magi, magi. a magi like Ardith is. And yes. obviously the whole, he's like, see, there's three sides of the pyramid. You're a protector of man. She's the, was the, you know, 
a reincarnation. Yes. And your son is the one that put the bracelet on to find it. Like it's three sides of the pyramid and it isn't until the very end, obviously. And Rick has never really been a huge believer in this stuff. So it isn't until the very end where he's like seeing the picture and the the scepter and the scepter. And he realizes he's the only one that can defeat the Scorpion King. Yeah. Which I wish they went. He says, Oh, that tattoo was slapped on me when I was in an orphanage in Cairo. It's like, what okay but they don't go any past that so it's like okay end of story that does explain why he was in what was the army he was fighting in in the first one he 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 was a member of the french foreign legion and he was uh him and his like entire unit i think i think they said that like they were pretty much just they went to go see if they could find hominoptera thank you and there's a lot of uh, hard words in this so th- yeah i i remember <laughs> bits and pieces i haven't seen the first one in in a, a a bit of time so the second one is is more in my memory yes but yeah they, they go to hominoptera and they fight a group of marauders i don't believe that they were the the magi because like artist no. like a bunch of, like the other chiefs are like just overlooking the whole thing and are gonna intervene when and if they need to it was like an army though it, yeah it was an army and like you know they're fighting and they get completely destroyed like uh rick is like like rick and benny are like the only survivors and benny only survived because he hid in a tomb because um, benny sucks yeah benny sucks <laughs> uh, yes um but i had a, i had a a realization with the second movie of how did the bad guys find Hominoptera so easily that they were able to give very detailed instructions to these three bumbling idiot mercenaries that we see in the beginning of the movie? They're able to just drive like this rinky-dink pickup truck to a dig site construction worker field in the middle of the desert in this hidden city in this lost desert that nobody has ever escaped alive from except for, you know, eight years ago. I don't think it wasn't like, like the city was destroyed at the end of the, but it's such a giant, it's just a giant pit by now of them like digging it. Yeah. They're digging through it, uh, to find Emotep. I don't think that is, I I don't think that was that weird. I think they're just like, Oh, we're out. I don't know, given our coordinates. I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it would make sense if they said that, like, they had been digging there since the end of the first movie, that they've been digging there for, like, six or seven years, and it's like, oh, we found, like, the Book of the Dead, we found the Book of Life, and now we found Imhotep. There's been a bunch of setbacks that we see, like, uh, a bunch of those, like, scarabs from the first movie, like, bust out a, a hole in the ground and just eat some of the workers. That's another thing, is this movie... Yeah did a really good job and not over going overboard with, uh, you know, recycled like assets. Yeah. From the last, so like the scarabs where they're in one scene because yeah, they're still down there. They can survive for a long time. It's explained in the last movie they show up and then they're not there. They don't show up any other time in the movie. It was fine. Like I, yeah, I think the only other time they show up is when, um, Imhotep takes his like, iron mask off when he first like reveals himself to alex and i think a scare like runs across his face and like that's it yeah but they don't oh they don't use the same gags too much it's just like it's just like oh yeah it's just left over from the last one we move on yeah um 
Uh, yeah, which I do I do appreciate that it is. They they tried to do a lot more of its own original stuff. Yes. And I I also like the fact that their like Imhotep's like Imhotep and like his entire cult and like the O'Connells are fighting against each other to fight a third independent faction. Yeah. The Scorpion yeah. King and the Army of Anubis. Which I thought was really cool of like introducing like a third element that is both an antagonist towards you know our protagonist as well as the other antagonist. Like he, he it's yes, they. It, it was a wild card that I I was not really a fan of at first because of reasons towards the end of the movie when we see him um, <laughs> hold, we'll hold off on that yeah yeah oh god i i have like a 10 minute <laughs> like powerpoint speech prepared for that a ted talk thing. <laughs> a ted talk yes on it. welcome to my ted talk um so it, i i just i really like that they introduced a lot of new elements to this movie because you know we get like you know there's like the scarabs and like all the mummies and stuff that we see in like the beginning of this movie was like, Oh, that was like really fun stuff in the first movie, but they're kind of doing some new stuff. Like the mummies are like chasing them through like the busy streets of London while they're fighting on a double decker bus. That's cool. That scene That's was new. so I much like fun. That. It really was. But and yeah, was like, that, to yeah. me, the plot hole of that scene is, uh, so it, it is very, again, very much like sequel vibe of like when, uh, yeah, Evie is kidnapped uh, you know, she's kidnapped in the first one. They rescue her. Emotep yeah. uh, releases, what is it? Like his, uh, he was the high priest. Uh, his, his, like, guys from the app, from the, from before. And it's just the their, first yeah, yeah. Their other priest guys. I don't remember their, what they're yeah. called. But he releases them. You know, Rick's like, not these guys again. And they get out of the museum. And Evie part starts to put a bench in front of the door. And Rick's like, honey, these guys don't use doors. It's like, you don't know that. I mean, he's correct in assuming that they don't, but they, he only fought yeah. them in one like confined space. Like he doesn't where there weren't any doors yeah, anyway. Or they were, you know, no, it was just like hallways, but no like doors. You don't know what they're gonna do. And that scene, yeah. I'm like, how? Like the double decker bus scene. So they go inside to rescue Evie, uh, Alex, their son, and then Jonathan. I will say Jonathan and Alex had, were so good together because it was the... But they're, they're, they're like the Scooby and Shaggy Yes, it was the very smart, responsible kid versus the irresponsible adult. And so they both like played off each other so well, like their screams yeah. and like... And uh, they're waiting in the car and uh, then the key breaks. I don't understand how that happens. So he has to go... He, he, like, he, was, like, he was like twisting the key in the ignition yeah. without like turning the ignition if that makes sense oh, and he just snapped it, it. Just so he just sna- he, he snapped the key in the ignition without turning it. he basically just pushed on it <laughs> and it's like and alex is just like you broke it you broke it you broke it and john's like alex, alex if there's any time for hysterics it'll be coming from me <laughs> oh yeah before he decides to stay because he's like if you see anybody running out screaming it's just me like he's not even hiding the <laughs> fact that he <laughs> I mean, he would rather be anywhere else, but he obviously he's there yeah, because well, his sister. But I, which is I think is kind of kind of funny, but because I feel like they kind of downgraded Jonathan kind of significantly for the this movie because in the first one, 
he's like getting drunk while firing at the magi when they're first when their camp is first getting raided he's like having a good time he's just like oh, he's just drinking out of like the the like whiskey bottle and just shooting the guys on horseback and he's like shooting the mummies uh when they're going to save his sister there there are multiple moments where like he would worm his he, he would like find some way to like weasel him yeah himself out of a situation like pretending to be a mindless drone like <laughs> yeah. for, yeah. for like all the other things for all the other like minions to like walk by him and then kind of like drone on it, it, yeah there, there were several moments where like that where it's like okay he's like kind of capable in a fight and i felt like in this movie he literally only had like one scene where he did that towards the end when he's fighting um, Anoxinamoon. Uh, Anoxinamoon, which oh the reverse again, a reverse gag from the last one where uh, because Evie's the one that is you know fluent in and can read ancient uh, Egyptian and know Egyptian. knows hieroglyphics and uh, Alex knows a little bit and he's trying to bring Evie back to life and it's the same he's stuck on that same hieroglyphic. That Jonathan needed help in the last it's like, one. It's a, it's a, it's a bird. I just love how him, him flapping his arm like a bird. It's like I don't see how that's going to help when he's not looking at you. It's like, I mean, that's a, that's the same thing that his his uncle. No, did in the and first I know, and it was it was funny then too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like oh, a metaphor. But, but a, <laughs> I mean, a joke of Jonathan is that, and I think it was he was intention he was. It was intentional to not have him uh, mature in this. He wasn't supposed to really have learned his lesson. We, from yeah. the very last, in the last, getting end of the last movie, we kind of see that they have uh, because Benny was trying to escape Hamanoptera with a bunch of like of like gold and any of the treasures yeah. you could find, and then they leave on those camels, and so now they're rich. And we find out in the beginning, uh, Jonathan pretends uses he pretty much like lost his fortune. And uses Evie and Rick's house, pretending to be like the millionaire who owns it. And I do love our reintroduction of Jonathan. He's like, you know, lying to this girl, this like girl, like I killed the mummy and stole his scepter. And then, uh, of course, all of Emotep's people are trying because they think this. Which this is another potential plot hole. Maybe you can explain it, or maybe you'll agree. So the guy. Yep that uh one of the guys that now is like leading like you know emotep's cult he's the one that alex said yeah. like he is the does he did he say he's the curator yeah he, he's like the curator at like the the british i just Museum. thought it was bullshit that like evie we find out so uh she says that the the benbridge scholars so it's supposed to be like cambridge but in this universe it's benbridge and they want her to I mean, there might be. I mean, maybe, there might but be it's like bridge, that. It's like the anyway. They want her to run the museum, and we find out later. Okay, Alex spends a lot of his time at the museum. That's how he recognizes this guy. I just and even when Evie is at the museum and she sees him, she seems to know kind of roughly who he is, but he had no clue because they break into their house and they don't know that Jonathan's not Rick. Or maybe they just don't know who Rick well, is. I mean, but I thought that seemed like bullshit to I, me. I mean, I. I I mean, I I, th- I feel like it would make sense for them to not know who Rick is because I mean, Rick isn't—he's not the scholar no. of the family. He's very yeah. much—he's very much just like the gunslinger. Is like I'm going to go break this face because there are some coins in it, rather than yes, 
figure out the historical significance of this vase. So it would make sense for like the cult or especially like the curator, like head honcho cultist guy to not know who Rick is and mistake Jonathan for him. Cause why would Jonathan and Rick be spending more time than they need to in a museum when they could be at a bar getting drunk and Jonathan can try and fail to pick up chicks pretending. To I be do Rick. love, I do think kind of going back to what you were just saying, I do think there's a really great scene that showcases how opposite Rick and Evie are when they first, when we're see they're at the, um, where is it? Is it a temple? They're at, they're at the, um, they're at Thebes. They're at the, that first site. That's where they're finding the bracelet. Oh, in, in, in the beginning of the movie? They, yes. He, okay. she's like, you know, there's a scene where they're like, she's like dusting a wall. They break it down. She's jumping. It's like a room filled with snakes and, uh, uh, tarantulas and yeah just scorpions. a bunch of bugs she's just jumping between like spaces rick's just rock walking through stomping on them yeah you, <laughs> and, you just hear this you just hear the squelching of his boots it's like oh and then there but there are like obviously they like compromise because she knows acknowledges okay maybe you breaking down this wall is the best way to do it or when they're trying to open the chest with the bracelet, he realized he sees the key and he's like, why don't we try it your way? Like they both acknowledge what is the more appropriate response. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they both have like their own style and their own um, like strategies of like going through like a temple and they've, they've learned like attempted to like learn from their experiences from like the first movie it's like oh like never read from a book like what the, what's the worst that could happen it's like what's the worst they could take a bracelet out of a chest like mm, lots of things Evie. yeah lots of things you not remember what happened before yeah or, or during your you were pregnant yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our, because math because <laughs> math our chemistry was so good that baby just was already being made before they were even like yep. yeah um but uh, I do love, I think that I love that first scene, though, when Jonathan's about to be bitten by a snake, Rick walks in, they realize Rick is Rick O'Connell, they throw a snake at him, he catches it, throws it back, they throw a knife at him, he catches it by the blade and throws it and hits it, like, in someone's chest, like, he's such a badass, like, and it's so yeah. fun to, damn fun to watch, and Evie and it, kicks it, ass in this. That also, makes yeah, sense. He would yeah. teach her. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but that that also um the, the scene where he like you know catches like the 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 snake that um is thrown at him that kind of leads into like one of like the uh kind of like subtle running jokes that we see throughout this movie of what specifically one of the cultists in um uh, uh Imhotep's like army. Uh, there's this guy that uh, at the last minute like ducks out of some like incoming incoming obstacle or projectile like coming his way, and immediately the person behind him gets hit by what was originally going to hit him. <laughs> so the first the first thing we see is the snake. He like ducks out of the way, and like the guy behind him like gets a, a face full of snake. And then when they're in the museum like rescuing Evie, um, Rick and Artith they are just like you know shooting mowing down everyone down there he ducks out of the way and like the two cultists behind him get a face full of shotgun and like a bunch of chemicals on the shelf explode and a bunch of fire shows up 
And then it happens like a couple more times. And then eventually him and Jonathan get separated in the jungle when they're being attacked by like the, yeah, the pygmies. And it's like, they're sort of like, oh, we're safe here. We're safe. They, those, those are sacred stones. They'll never come around here. It's like, you sure? <laughs> it's like, of course I'm sure. And the pygmy like catapults over the stones, not touching the floor exactly like Jonathan said. Jonathan screams, ducks. And the guy who has been ducking the entire movie, like, gets falls victim to his own uh, gimmick that has been happening the entire movie. My mistake. And then Jonathan just runs away while his... Uh, yep. <laughs> His, I mean, technically he was correct, but also he was wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That, that, it was just, I really liked that joke because it's not, it, it's kind of subtle. It is very subtle. I did not I, pick up on it at all. I, yeah, I, I never really picked up on that uh, until like, I don't know, like, God, I want to say like my third or fourth time I watched it. It's like, hey, that guy ducked. For, I was like, oh man, that guy's lucky he ducked. Wait, that same guy ducked. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so I want to. We gotta. We gotta talk about uh, the other big thing in this is that. So while uh, Evie is a reincarnated daughter of a pharaoh, Anaxuna Moon we finally like officially meet, and she's also been reincarnated. And then like halfway through the movie is um, pretty much when we get like all of the answers about what happened in the past. Because uh, Emotep does like the whole sacrificing he wanted to do in the last one and brings her soul back from the underworld and she's like officially back. But I was just thinking, yeah. like, so which she very much confuses me even to this. It day. didn't really make. It just seemed weird. Like she is okay. She knows she's a Noxuna Moon reincarnated, and they she says this. But it's like, okay, where did you come from? How did they find you? How did you figure out all this stuff? But also, she gets, you know, gets a Noxuno Moon soul. So it doesn't really... Is she also having, like, memories from her previous life? Like Evie does? Because Evie knows full, totally knows who she is. But it's obviously yeah. still her own person. But it, it, it just, it confuses me if, like, she's the reincarnation of a Noxinum rule and has, like, all this, like, memories and knowledge of, like, Imhotep in her past life, as well as, like, the memories from this life of her being alive in, like, the 20th century this entire time. Why does Imhotep need to go through the process of returning her soul to her body if she's already the reincarnation of the same person? It seems like an unnecessary extra step. They didn't really, ex- they didn't really explain it. It kind of, he says like, she says, I'm Nox, I'm, I'm a Noxuna moon reincarnated. And he just says only in body. So kind of like, I assumed she doesn't have any of those memories. She's just very willing to like, oh, okay. This is a, the guy that my past self was in a relationship with. Okay. Well, 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 if she doesn't have any of the memories, then how is she able to find Hamanoptera? Because Ardeth Bay says that yeah. the only reason that they found Hamanoptera and, like, the Book of the Dead, and book, like, all the books and Imhotep was this woman, he says, like, holds a picture of, like, this woman was leading her. And it's like, well, if she doesn't, if she has the memories, then why... It, it, it just that's it, a fair just, point i think if there, anything there, there's a lot of there's like a lot of small plot holes and after watching this with like a lot more of a critical eye than i normally would it, they're kind of adding up 
especially with the Scorpion King and that whole prophecy, which makes no sense. If anything, I was like, wait a minute, so the whole final battle where the uh, Scorpion King and Anubis' army just kind of like disappeared and died or whatever, that's at that place, that's at the same Thebes, which they said is that first... That's the city where, uh, you know, Emotep and Adoxuna Moon killed the Pharaoh and why, like, that's where it all started. I'm like, okay. I was, like, going, trying to figure out, like, like a map in my head of figuring this all out. I think, um, I think going back to the Adoxuna Moon thing, yeah, I think if I kind of just look at it as, that's a good point. It does sound like an extra step. I think it's just, she has, she has memories. Evie seems to have her memories. That's how she finds the bracelet. If if anything, I think the uh, the you know bringing her soul back from the underworld is just kind of like sealing the deal. Like you're no longer whoever what because this person's name is not an Oxuno Moon. She had I'm just thinking like does she have it's, a family? It's, uh, it's no her her name in the movie is Mila. Oh, do they wait? When did they say that? To say in the beginning, um, when uh, Lochna, um, when they're when they're being attacked in the museum and Art of Bay is just shooting and only hitting like five people, that, that that's another thing that kind of annoyed me is that everyone in this movie, aside from Rick, at like very convenient moments, has like the worst stormtrooper <laughs> aim I've seen in the movie. Like Art of Bay, everyone is like in a semicircle, like. Down below you, you have the high ground, you have a drum magazine for a Thompson submachine gun, and he hits, like, maybe five people. <laughs> you could have, like, you could have mowed down, like, half of his cultists before they even had a chance to figure out that it's like, hey, he's up there. <laughs> and, and like, as he's shooting, like, the three people that he just really doesn't want <laughs> there, um, Lachna, like, the main, like, lieutenant the one that like babysits um, alex yeah yeah the, yeah like the main they... like lieutenant cultist <laughs> that was funny yes that is a funny scene but yeah d- during that shootout scene lachna throws an accident mule uh, a gun to her and he says like mila to get her attention and he throws it to her and uh, I, they say it a couple other times, but like that was like the main time that I remember. Yeah. Uh, okay. Them saying her name that wasn't an auction. Okay. Um. Okay. But either way, I think it's just like her soul back from the underworld is just now she is fully a Noxuna Moon, not just Mila with uh, memories of a Noxuna, like uh, memories as a Noxuna Moon. Like she is. A, I agree that it is. An, it's like just seals the deal. Like. He isn't into Mila. He's into a Noxuna Moon. But I did think there is that one scene where yeah. she's again, she's just so willing as Mila to be with Emotep and do all this stuff. And I do like that one scene where he makes it look like it's ancient Egypt, and then they like start making out, and then it shows in real time he's still his gross corpse self, and she's just making out with yeah. a corpse. Which it's also, like, yeah, he's it, not there because he's CGI. So what? What is she? Who or what is she making out with? Well, no, I, I mean, I think that um, for a good chunk of this, I think it it was motion capture. Oh, okay. 
for for some of it. So for all we know, she could have been actually making out with Arnold Vosloo and just like a weird like motion capture, and then they just covered it up in, in post production. Um, yeah. I, I don't I don't know yeah. if that's what they did for the entire movie, but I do I do know that that's what they did for for uh, some of the stuff for uh, the Army of Nubis. They did a lot of motion tracking for oh. that. And um, the uh, mummies, like the the, the servants of uh, Imhotep, yeah. um, during the museum chase scene. Um, so I I kind of want to jump into the titular character, the Scorpion yeah. King, uh, for for this movie. Um, so this was Dwayne Johnson's first acting role. Um, and after this movie, they had they gave him a spinoff movie called The Scorpion King, which was kind. It, it takes place in the same universe as the Mummy movies, but like uh, they're they're prequels. So they I think they happen like like a few decades before the events of the uh, the first Mummy Haven't movie. Have you seen them? And I've I've seen the first one. The first one I remember the most um, because after video? that. The first one, I think, had a theatrical release, but yeah, all, the rest of them were straight to video, and they all bore together, and now, like, The Scorpion King, which was a prequel, there's a prequel to that where it's, like, him, like, as a teenager, like, learning how to become a warrior and going on, like, this quest and, like, avenging his father. Oh, and going okay, on, like, this whole, I remember... Like, Conan the Barbarian, like, bullshit revenge story. I remember that commercial. Uh, it's, I want to say, it's before one of the mummy movies which is why i know it and i just remember it was like the the man he was swore to he swore to protect and then like father ah and it's just like so much <laughs> effort went into this for a straight to video release like yeah, there's <laughs> i want to say that there was like four or five mummy uh not mummy scorpion king movies <laughs> Where, was the world aching for a scorpion king like <laughs> I, I mean, I thought the first one wasn't that bad. Like, it's a very much like tongue-in-cheek, swashbuckling adventure movie, like fantasy movie, kind of like along like the same veins as like the first Conan the Barbarian movie. But this one's had a little bit more like levity and comedy to it. Okay. Um, whereas like Conan the Barbarian is like, all right, I'm gonna go cut this guy's head off, and we see all that. <laughs> okay. But it's like. Like, like, Conan was, like, a little bit more gory, but, like, this one was just, like, oh, there's, like, comedy. He, like, 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 catapults himself into, like, a tower to, like, assassinate, like, the main bad guy, and he ends up in, like, the chamber where, like, all of his, like, his, like, uh, all of his concubines are, so it's literally just a harem room of a, just a bunch of, like, like, uh, women just, like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just chill here for a bit. Oh, <laughs> um, so... Yeah, this this was uh, Dwayne Johnson's first movie, and um, he's in the movie for a total of probably three minutes. The um, intro and then uh, the end, or just including the intro. I don't even think. I don't even. I think just. I, I don't even think they use him for the ending. Well, no, of course not. Like, but like. Uh, but yeah, for for like the intro, I I want to say like a maximum of like three minutes. He was like on screen and and actually used. It's um, just, it's literally, sorry, the first scene of them is, like, 
it's that they're, you know, up to go to war, and it's his just going, oh, like, he's wearing, like, a scorpion metal thing that's, like, jumping up and down on him as he runs. It's like, and it just cuts back and forth between both armies, just one running, then, ah, oh! and then, and then uh, it cuts to um, them fighting, and then after seven long years, the Scorpion King was defeated. And I remember just thinking, like, like, wouldn't his defeat be, like, of his death? Because him being defeated, he seems like the kind of guy that wouldn't, like, he, him being alive implies to me more like he surrendered, as opposed to, like, okay, we're done. Not necessarily. Like, if, if like, your entire army has routed from something like that, like, there's not much coming back from that because like after like when we see like the whole narration of like after uh, seven yeah. long years the scorpion king's bloody campaign came to an end and it's like it shows like the scorpion king and like maybe 50 other guys like that's not enough to really like stage any significant comeback or really take anything other than like maybe a small village so it's like he would he would literally have to start from like the bottom up in order to reclaim any semblance of an empire that he previously had prior to the fight that we saw in the beginning of the movie um but yeah so so it's like the scorpion king lost his battle in thieves which is the city that reck and evie are excavating in the beginning of the movie after this uh uh prologue um and we see that after being banished to the desert of um Amsher, uh the entire remnants of the scorpion king's army they're all dying of starvation and heat exhaustion and eventually he's the only one left and he makes a deal with anubis that he would give him his soul if he gave him the power and army to destroy all of his enemies and then he eats a scorpion that just pops up out of the ground after it stings him a few times and then an oasis just pops up out from under his feet and it became the oasis of amsher and that's how we get the army of anubis which is just a bunch of bipedal, okay-looking CG dog creatures. It's, not, it's far from the worst I, CGI I've seen. It's fine. Like it, 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 it's yeah. For for 2001 standards, it looks okay. I don't know if it's we passable. talked about this last year, but the Mummy actually has pretty decent CGI. That I will say, it doesn't look amazing now, but it holds up for the time and. Oh, for for the time and that was revolutionary. Like, um, but also the and the makeup design is really incredible. So you like last week when we were like clarifying we're doing Mummy Returns, you sent me that uh, VFX art artist thing of the mummy, like the guy who worked on the mummy, and I was kind yeah, of blown um, away. I didn't first of all, I don't know about this movie, but for the last movie, I didn't realize it was a miniature scale of an Egyptian city. I didn't even think about all the work that went into making the design for Emotep, like, like, it, I will say, it's, it's pretty, this is kind of how I rate CGI, if it looks bad within, like, five years, then it's really shitty, like, it never looked good, but if it looks good, but if it looks (laughs) good, like, 10 years plus, then that's really good, like, I think this, and I think, like, some of the CGI in, like, the first Pirates movie, like, held up for a long time and they're just now starting to look kind of they look cgi the, yeah the the the, the paint is starting to to peel and chip yes. away a little bit but um, it doesn't look horrifying like, no it looks, it, yeah like it, yeah it's like from a dis like i i like to think of it as like uh 
like a fresh coat of paint on a house. Like from a distance, yeah. it looks good. But if you look at it under a very critical eye, you start to notice like some of the, the paint is starting to chip away. And I feel like that's kind of what we've been doing with the first move, the, the first mummy movie and the second uh, right now. Under a critical eye, yes, it, you do notice a lot of the flaws and inconsistencies, but from a distance and from a general perspective and point of view, these are very excellent and well-made movies. If you just kind of appreciate them from what they are rather than all the minute discrepancies and details that I'll kind of get into a bit more because it is kind of fun kind of pointing them out. Um, these are very very entertaining movies and i do greatly appreciate them for for not just the entertainment value that i've had just watching them for years now um but it is just kind of amazing that the uh like the technical progress that was made just from like the first mummy movie alone and how they were able to kind of carry that forward into the second one and kind of change how movies were made um the, like that turned the century back then because that the first movie mummy movie came out in 1999 and it kind of changed how movies were made from the previous generation to to now because they were kind of going through that technical gap of early workings of cgi characters and uh just replica models to make them seem more realistic and believable and kind of make the leap from miniature scale models to just fully flesh out CG uh, environments. And I feel like this is like one of the few movies that still kind of has remnants of realism in their sets because they did use a miniature set. Whereas new stuff now, like uh, Justice League, it's, it's all CGI. Wasn't, um, isn't it uh, ILM? Yes, ILM, uh, Industrial Light so, Magic. So that's the same, like, special effects for, like, Star Wars and... Yeah. Uh, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, huh, I did not know that. Yeah, they they definitely brought their A-game with the first movie, and I guess they were on a time crunch with the ending of the second movie. <laughs> uh, because it's never Emotep that looks bad. It's no the, the reveal, and the reveal of the Scorpion King, like, it's a silhouette of a scorpion, like you see a scorpion, you kind of see the outline of the rock's body, and then it's the best worst CGI I think you'll ever see. Like if you go on YouTube and type like compilation of bad CGI, this will be on it. Yeah, or maybe no, it'll be the like, thumbnail for it. Like, like every everyone knows this scene. Like even if even you've never seen the movie. Like, yeah, one hundred percent. Like like my girlfriend, she hasn't seen this movie, but she knows the Scorpion King. She knows that scene. <laughs> um you will know it whether you like it or not or no whether exactly. you see the movie or not not whether you like it or not no one yeah, liked it yeah it's like what like hilarious. when i told when i told her the other day it's like oh we're doing like a recording we're, we're gonna do the moment returns like oh have fun talking about the scorpion king it's like oh i love you <laughs> um <laughs> i i just i love like... i love how infamous it is he looks like a like a computer game like it, graphic it, yeah it, it looks like a ps2 cutscene. but like not even like i've seen better <laughs> computer graphics like it's so bad yeah. and i it feel like it never looked good like i can't even imagine us like did it look good 
that day the movie came out in 2001 and then it ever since looked terrible like i i i don't know i i i really can't gauge that because it's can you I, imagine I, if it looked good though like I, I i mean i can imagine if it looked good because the same guys that i sent you of the vfx oh artists, i didn't finish it sorry they, they oh, did no. No, in a, in a it wasn't in that same video. In a different okay. video they did a few months ago, they did um, a challenge to see if they could make the Scorpion King look good, and they did a lot of like deep fake videos and uh, stuff like that to like put like uh, the Rock back then. Like they put his face and touched up that whole scene to make it seem a lot better. And I think they tweeted that out, and I think the Rock tweeted back on it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it does like check it out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, like they they've done a lot of like random deep fake videos. Like they did a, another one on like uh, the Luke Skywalker reveal in like the Mandalorian. They mm-hmm. they except they use like one of like the guys in the studio and they just deep faked Mark Hamill's face on him. Because yeah, um, yeah. <coughs> but it was it was really funny. But my main question with um, the this whole plot of this movie revolves around the fact that the Scorpion King is going to uh, is going to wake up and use his army, the army of Anubis that so he, he clarify- controls. Sorry, quick clarification. Yeah, yeah. So they get the, they find the bracelet, Alex opens it and puts the bracelet on and it basically shows him like where to go to get to the Oasis and each place he'll get to, he'll get to the next place It'll then show him the next place to go. And so uh, they, after him, he puts it on. Uh, Arctic Bay says, like, there are basically seven days until the uh, Scorpion King wakes up. And then Emotep tells him, if you are not in the, like, the in the temple, in the pyramid, on the morning of uh, the seventh day, the bracelet's basically going to, like, kill you. Kill you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> But even before that, Evelyn says that every 5,000 years, the Scorpion King will awaken and use his army of Anubis to, and in Rick O'Connell's words, take over the world and, and take over and, or, yeah, wipe out the world. And yeah. So my question is, is how does Evelyn know that he wakes up every 5,000 years? Because in the beginning of the movie, they said that this whole thing started 5,000 years ago, which means that the cycle that you just described hasn't happened yet. She said every 5,000 years? She says every 5,000 years, which means that this would have been the first time that cycle would have taken place. She makes it sound like it's a cycled event. So that means that even if they do defeat the Scorpion King, that means that they just reset the clock for the next 5,000 years, regardless if they defeat him or not which I don't understand huh. because it... I don't remember her saying that. Um, she sa- yeah, she, I, she says that in the beginning. She says every 5,000 years the Scorpion King wakes up. So it's just, why... Is it when they first like get back to their house and she's yeah, like, yeah. we gotta go to the Oasis and Rick's yeah. like, uh, no, we just got home and... Yeah, it's it's right in that whole scene of like her trying to convince him. It's like, oh, let's go. It'll be fun. It's like, no, we just got home. I didn't catch that uh i might watch it again specifically I, to hear 
listen I, for it. I, I mean, I might be remembering that wrong, but that's what I remember. And I thought you were going to say, like, so is he going to wake up regardless of the bracelet? Which I was, yeah. Which I think, no, I think it's more like, because we find out it's the year of the scorpion. So I kind of more think it's, it's a, the year he can wake up and whoever puts the bracelet on will wake him up. I don't think yeah. he'll wake up on but, his but own. The, but, but it, it, uh, it just, five thousand years thing. I don't. I did not catch that. So yeah. But it, it just it it really kind of irritated me when she said that it's like every five thousand years. Like she says every five thousand years. It's like how do you know this when this cycle has never happened before? I don't understand why that. <laughs> I, I'm literally like going through like the movie right now so I can like catch that. Um, but it. it if this cycle has never happened before, then how how would you know that? I I I that's I really... a very fair point. I didn't catch it, so I can't answer it. It's like why movie explain? Um, we all, we actually uh speaking of the Scorpion King, we find out that uh in her past life. She the reason she finds the bracelet is because she was the bracelet's protector, and this all happens because it's a fight between her and Anaxuna Moon, who is the pharaoh's like mistress or going to be wife, soon to be wife, and she's the pharaoh's daughter, and they're fighting. And basically, Anaxuna Moon is just like they're both really good, but Anaxuna Moon keeps beating her, and so they're like, okay, so uh. Nefertiri is is her yeah. name. You're gonna protect the bracelet, and Anox in the Moon, you're gonna protect me, the Pharaoh. And it's like so, so it's like oddly specific. Do you, <laughs> do you want her to protect the bracelet? I mean, she keeps losing. Like, but I guess, like, yeah. I don't know. It was a first. The, the whoever is a better fighter is gonna protect the person, and whoever is the not better fighter is going to protect the bracelet yeah well i mean i it also is really cool with, with like that fight scene um yeah. that rachel weiss and uh i'm, I'm looking at her Patricia name Patricia uh, Valesquez. yeah yeah they, they trained for five months for that fight scene and they did not use any stunt women yeah it's like it that's pretty good um, yeah, no, their fight is amazing. It is very believable. And also, I just went through the movie. <laughs> and I, I want to take a screenshot of this. Yes, but he only awakens every 5,000 years. And I don't know how she knows that. This is... <laughs> I don't know why this bothers me so much, but it does. That'll, I guess, in 5,000 years... So, sorry, other future people. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, oh. sucks to be you. I'm literally sending it to you right now, just so I can say that I'm not crazy. Um, but speaking of uh, actually that scene, so that scene is really fun. I think that that fight scene is really great. But this does bring up. Wait, I'm looking. Oh, <laughs> yep. Okay, she does say only f every five thousand years. So, uh, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. So it's but, like, what's the rush if you? Yeah, and it it also doesn't make any sense. So if does just the army of Anubis just command whoever killed the previous like guy in charge? So even if Imhotep kills the Scorpion King, they've already killed Imhotep before. They can just do it again. 
So I don't understand why. Like I, I mean, I can understand what their rush is because the bracelet will kill Alex. Which they don't know but, that. I mean, that until yeah, later. they they only know that. Yeah, they know that when Alex tells at them at the end after like, they rescue him. Yeah, yeah, yeah like five minutes before sunrise. when they're they're basically running. They're out running the sun. That was actually very stressful. Yeah. That is a very stressful part of the movie. Um, as to that kid, he apparently loved the mummy so, so much, and he turned down the chance to audition. This is, again, 2000, at probably 1991, yeah. 1999, 2000 at the time. He turned down a chance to audition for Harry Potter to be in this movie, and because he knew the movie so well, he actually was kind of like their consultant. Which is adorable. Like, he plays their son. Yeah. He's, like, living. He loved it so much and then played their son. Like, that must have been... Like, the <laughs> scene where him... I was thinking about this when he and him and Brendan Fraser are running through a fort. He's, like, probably... He was probably having so much fun. I, I would have had a yeah. blast working on this yeah. movie. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, why can't Brendan Fraser be my dad? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, um, but actually... Sorry, going back to the scene, I did kind of want to bring something up that we didn't really talk about in yeah. the last Mummy movie, um, but it's more Shit. evident in this. This movie is very whitewashed. Let's just, like, lay that out. Like, yeah. Ar- I, yeah. Arnold Vosloo is South African, so he's, like, Dutch and Swiss. He's not Egyptian. No one's, a- I don't know what Ardeth Bay is, so, but he's not white. That's different. But, like, Ra- uh, Rachel Weisz is obviously... Also, she's supposed to be half Egyptian, and she says that in the first one. And then in this movie, they went above and beyond to make her look Egyptian. Like, she, her hair's darker. She was wearing eyeliner that kind of looked, kind of resembled, like, coal. Like, that, you know, in ancient Egyptians yeah. would wear. Um, like, I mean, I will say, yeah, in the Moon, I, want, I don't know what she's, I want to say Hispanic. I'm not, don't quote me on that. Uh I I I can only speculate, and I feel like I would be stereotyping by doing so. Um. Oh oh, she was born in Venezuela. So okay, so there she's we go. okay, so she's uh, that's Latina, South yes. American. But basically, yeah. uh, I mean, it, I will say it's it's kind of interesting just because everybody's just casted based on appearance and or acting ability, not really based on like you know heritage and ethnicity. ethnicity but i do think because yeah. arnold Vosloo, i can't picture anybody else but he is a white man <laughs> playing yeah. a, a, a mummy like well i mean i don't i don't really fault them this movie no for that like it seems like every movie that in has like some interpretation of like egyptian culture like uh has like kind of like a whitewashed White? appearance of yeah. like, uh, like Egyptian pharaohs. Like even in like Night in the Museum, um, who the guy who plays um, the pharaoh in that. Mommy uh, Malik? Yeah. He, he is Egyptian. Wait, he is? Yes, he is Egyptian. Ah, shit. Okay. <laughs> so you're, so well, you're... there goes my point. <laughs> but, I mean... I, thought, I mean, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know what he was, but I didn't think he was Egyptian. Anyway, oh my God. um, well, there goes my street cred. But by this point, though, obviously, whitewashing was such a, such a thing that's like only within the last few years have people 
made an effort of like, let's stop whitewashing. So yeah. by this point, I mean, I'm not really faulting. I mean, I will fault the movie on it, but also it was such a normal thing to do that. Like, it's kind of like, I, you know, can, I can, I can only complain about it so much. Um, <laughs> Cause like, again, it's, it's, was well, such a typical thing to do at yeah. the time. And I, I don't really think it was like that big of a uh, hindrance no. to this movie. Um, excuse me. Um, but I, I do feel like a lot of like the supporting uh, type characters, like um, like Izzy and Lochna, like a lot of the characters that aren't the primary focus for a lot oh, of scenes were kind of yeah. uh, put down into like auxiliary positions like Izzy was kind of like the wacky kind of sidekick character that that was kind of introduced like way later and Lochna was like the very like intimidating villain uh henchman type character we haven't Um, talked about Izzy (laughs) no I I don't think anyone's talked about Izzy Izzy is so this movie doesn't necessarily copy paste it's more of just they get an upgrade of okay we love the equivalent of the last movie. So last movie, it was Winston who was from the Royal air force because he had a plane. So this time, uh, Rick knows somebody named, uh, Izzy who he, he's offering them. He thinks it's a plane and then turns out it's a like hot air balloon ship. He said, it's a dirigible. (laughs) Um, um, but it's like, like, so, so you really don't want your son to be saved then. But he said it's really, it's fast and it's really quiet and it gets them there and it gets them out. So, I mean, it worked. But I realize though, this is one of those movies, like, I love it so much, but there's so many things about it I forget until I'm watching the movie. Yeah. And Izzy like, is, I will admit, one of them. He he is a very forgettable character because it only seems like he's in, like, three scenes, even though he's present for... I want to say, like, half the movie. Yeah, and I do love the last audible dialogue that we hear in the movie is, um, so, uh, the scepter that Jonathan had, Rick uses it to pay Izzy, and he keeps, like, throughout the movie, is stealing it back from him because it's his, he wants it. They then use the scepter to defeat the Scorpion King. Because apparently... On a mural <laughs> in the Scorpion King's lair is a mural that shows specifically how to kill him. I don't know why you have <laughs> that know, in your lair. I, I don't know why the Scorpion King there. has that in his own house. Yeah, I was All, thinking that too. It, like, but I did love the scene, it, it, but I agree. It doesn't really make sense why it's there. I, I, it definitely kind of like perpetuates the stereotype that like the Scorpion King is just a PS2 like end game like like video game boss that like this is his like glowing weakness <laughs> just like like yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's like all right it, it it makes there's just so many little things like that that just make no sense but it's like screw it the movie's almost over this movie's over two hours just ended already i just do love that line of like rick realizing that and he's like jonathan the, the gold stick thing <laughs> It's, it's a spear. A, not not it's the like, scepter. Really? It doesn't look like a spear. Thing. But um, so Jonathan is super excited because throughout the movie we find out the top of the pyramid of the uh, Scorpion King's pyramid, there's a diamond, like this giant diamond. And as there is, he's pulling him up. The basically the uh, 
Oasis is like being pulled into the pyramid and Izzy's truck comes to get them. They think they're all about to die. And Jonathan's just like, no, let lower me down. So he can grab the diamond and just, uh, Brendan Fraser's just like, it's not worth your life, you idiot. Like, yes, but, it is. But the yes, thing is, is, the last movie I realized he did not get to stop and pick apart the, um, treasure that was in the pyramid or in, in the temple so this time he's like no i'm not leaving it behind and then the last audible dialogue of this movie is um uh izzy being like you know you're splitting that with me because you took my gold six stick thing and they're just like what no no i, I don't know what you're talking about he's like i swear on the on the head of my wife and Izzy's just like yeah you yeah you have you don't got a wife, and that's just the last dialogue we hear as they're arguing, as Rick and Evie are making out because she was dead and then brought back to life, and everything's good again, and the movie's over. Yep, um, I I do like the the constant like bickering between uh, Izzy and Jonathan, yes. but it <laughs> like I do feel like Izzy didn't really have anything else to contribute other than mode of transportation and i feel like they really tried to give them some semblance of like a personality and i think the only thing they got close to that was when he was like talking about like all like the failed attempts and other like missions that he's gone on with rick where every mission he's gone on with rick yeah yeah, where every mission he goes on with rick he gets shot and then at the Um, end when he's like like he's complained to him and he's like, Hey, you didn't get shot. And he's like, even admits like, yeah, I didn't get shot. Yeah. Um, which I, I did think was, was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, like it, it, I feel like that was really like the only semblance of like, uh, like a, a character with him of like, I'm not going on with, uh, another mission with you because we have history and I don't want history to repeat himself uh, it, itself. And I don't want to get shot again. Which I thought I thought was a, a kind of a cool dynamic, and I felt like would have made like kind of a cool like prequel or like a spinoff of just like Brick's like earlier escapades of like because that clearly doesn't seem like something that you would do with the French Foreign Legion of no. just him doing like rain like swashbuckling adventures and it's like him rescuing and I quote a belly dancer girl yeah um where izzy gets shot in the ass well him and uh i realize like ardeth are the ones that like ardeth is basically a guardian of the desert of like these of these like you know let's keep these monsters down like that's yes and he's and and he is the worst at his job him and the Magi <laughs> are so horrible at their job that it is it is one hundred percent their fault. <laughs> they told them to leave, no, and then they didn't. It, no, no, okay, yes, the events of the first movie you, you can kind of give them some benefit of the doubt because, like, they did attack, they did give them a warning, they kind of did all this. But in the second movie, they did absolutely nothing until like the very end. We just see he's like incognito dressed kind of like blending into the crowd and then when he shows yeah. up at Rick and Evie's Jonathan's like they're like they're re- they re- they're uh, waking up the creature and he's and Jonathan's like isn't it your job to make sure that doesn't happen and he kind of just yeah. glosses over and it doesn't answer yeah he immediately deflects that question <laughs> he immediately deflects it and just but I, I do okay so really so 
love Ardeth and I love like their the scene where so when Rick's inside fighting the Scorpion King and it's pretty heavy because the scene just before is uh Anoxuna Moon killing Evie, which was there a reason for her to kill her? Was it something tied back to their like past life? Like I, I think just hey it's like, hey, now you can't stop us because you're dead. And it was really, That's pretty much it. and it was sad. Like, but I felt like the reasoning for it was, you know, not really there. But anyway, Rick's just like kind of nothing to lose, kind of. Uh, yeah, ex- except for you know my son, my son, who's, but like who just witnessed his mom get murdered <laughs> in front of him. But then, uh, uh, but then, while well, he's fighting the Scorpion King, Artifa and the other magi are fighting the are fighting anubis's army and i do kind of love like we're done yay and then he's like wait a minute that was way too easy and then sees like so many more thousands <laughs> and i i do genuinely enjoy that scene yeah. where it's like they see all that and like like the surviving like couple like i guess like a hundred like magi that survived like in that first initial attack they're all lined up and they're all looking at Ardith and it's like to the death yeah. and and i i love scenes like that in movies where like they're faced with such like insanely ridiculous odds where it's like no matter what you do no matter what strategy or interpretation of a plan there's actually no way out of this where you will survive and even knowing those odds are so stacked against you you're still going to stick through it and just be a major thorn in this person's side. And it's like, even if you don't win, you're going to make sure that they lose. And I love scenes like that. And I I feel like this is like one of my favorite examples of that. And like the other example I would have would probably be uh, the movie Rogue One. Oh, because like that, the entire like last 40 minutes of that is just a perfect example of like, yeah, there's really no way we're going to win this, but we're still going to accomplish this mission. Um, have you ever seen that? Like, yeah. Have you seen that meme from uh, Mulan saying, how come every time when they're singing, there's like hundreds of them, but whenever they're fighting, there's like, I don't know, 20 of them? Like, that's a good Um, so before we kind of get into the final question, I was thinking about this, like, when it comes to universal movies, like... Like, these are, this is like a monster movie, technically. But I feel like, yes. and same with, like, Jurassic Park, but, like, I feel like, obviously, what does make it memorable and makes it fun are the cast of characters. And I feel like this is a movie, it's, like, an unofficial, like, ensemble. Like, they're pretty good together. And they're fun to watch. And I genuinely care about Rick and Evie and Jonathan and Ardith, like, I like they all play to get well together and they are fun to watch. And it's like, that's not necessarily an obviously that's one of the reasons why I like this movie is because it's a continuation of these characters, not like the third one, which is just a lack of characters Uh, slash different actors. And it's, it's like, it doesn't need to exist, which, and 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 a completely different, which there's no reason for that movie. It's like, I feel like even worse than, Independence Day resurgence in terms of needing this movie existing. Like, it did not need to happen at all. But, like, this is, like... And this movie isn't even, like... It's not like, oh, the events of the last one, like, you know, 
led to the Scorpion King rising or something. Like, no, like it's, it was the characters being the characters and it all kind of just happened. The, yeah, the, this is a very character driven movie. And I yes. feel like, yeah, that, that is the main driving force. And you're able to kind of ignore, as I said, like all the, like the random discrepancies and like plot holes that the movie kind of leaves at your doorstep because you're so captured by the performance of the characters and like their whole chemistry with everyone. Yeah. Um, so final, final question, Kevin, do you think this movie is real? Is there anything about this that is plausible? No, I do not think that this movie is real because if the Magi were a half as good as their job as they say they are, they would have just shown up with their sizable cavalry-sized army and just stormed Hamanamtra while they were in the middle of their dig site before they dug up Imhotep and resurrected him. Or, in hell, this they probably movie or the last in, movie? In, in this movie. Well, in the last movie, I feel like they would have done a lot better of a job of keeping Rick and Evie out. But in this movie, when like all the cultists and like the diggers are just, you know, working uh, in Hamanaptra, just excavating all like the the ruins there and digging him up in like the book, like all the scenes that we see of the Magi, like there's like a it's a sizable like army and they're all on like horseback. They're all, they're all armed. They all have like ammo, so they all have guns. They all have swords. They are very skilled, well versed fighters. Their whole mantra is to protect Hamanamtra and make sure that the mummy doesn't rise. So why didn't they do that? There's literally hundreds of you and we only see Ardeth Bay literally in Hamanamtra. I can understand Ardeth Bay not doing anything because it's literally just him. What's one guy going to do against this entire like cultist workforce here? Like, Actually, they're probably unionized and everything, yeah. but like with like the entire like Magi army that you have at your beck and call with your like carrier falcon, why didn't you just like, hey, like get these guys over here? They just dug up Imhotep. We got to stop them before they ship them to England. It's like do that. That also, that actually also reminds me, so, uh, because Ardith and Lochna seem to have a history, and they just don't ever address it. Like, the first time they meet, they're just like, okay, they know each other. And even the fight scene, like, where Ardith kills him, like, I feel like it's, it's an interesting fight, but I don't really know the history. I don't know, other than he's, you're good, he's bad, like. There's not really any substance to, like, I'm like, okay, did you guys work together? How do you know each other? It never once uh, comes up. He's it, not, de- it, he's yeah. very undeveloped, and it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, the the only kind of character development he gets, if any, is just he hates kids because he just is basically babysitting Alex. Oh, Lochna? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that's, him- the, that's the only character development he ever gets. <laughs> him babysitting him, and then, uh, the part where uh, he takes uh, uh, Alex to the bathroom and oh, yeah. he's just like, turn, he's like, I can't go with someone's watching. And he just turns around. He's like, I don't trust you. You'll look. And he turns around like in full disgust, like what? And then just, he leaves. And I just kind of love like, <laughs> I know Alex is kind of sort of messing with him because he can, 
because he can't touch him because he's got the bracelet. But I do just love that, like, what? <laughs> do yeah. you think I have nothing and, better than I mean, you? I, mean, I know. And he's also, like, clearly doing this to, like, hey, get reading him out material. Of the room. So, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so he can, like, get him out of the room so he can, like, work on an escape plan. But I don't know. Which also just... shows, because he escapes because he moves, he sees, like, in, like, the toilet, there's, like, a hole like underneath does that mean just like anyone who's in there is just like so like shit is just on the railroad tracks across egypt like yeah it's just a whole like how is there holding any water there's no plumbing it's just like it it uh, it, it just it like catches in you pull the 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 plunger or like the, the flush it and it just opens up like there's there's inner workings in there it's just very basic <laughs> It's not just a direct hole, <laughs> but it does drop everything on the tracks. I'm like, ew! So much, like, like, like it does. It does flush like water and everything to kind of clean it out a little. That's bit, why but, you don't want to be yeah. tied to the railroad tracks because it's covered in shit. Forget the fact that well, yeah, the that train's too. coming. Um, I like when I was thinking like, is this real? Like, define real. Um, do I, I agree with you that if the Magi had done some, if there was some effort on their end, because it's like, if there's effort on their end from keeping Emotep from rising in this movie, we're not seeing it. Because it seems like they did a good job at keeping people from not discovering him previously. But then again, it seems like when no, when, when there's actual effort to waking him up. They don't work as they don't work as hard. Yeah, because it seems like Ardeth Bay is like the only Magi doing anything <laughs> in this entire movie. Yes. Um. I mean, until like the very end when they were fighting like the army of Anubis, and like they're all very much willing to like lay their lives on. It's like that's the only time we're seeing any effort put in on their part. I think I agree with with the with the Magi. I think part of me just feels like logically nothing necessarily didn't make sense other than some of the stuff that you pointed out. Um, like, did, did you, uh, prior to like me pointing this out, did you ever like notice, or, like pick up on any of that on the like Magi or the whole f- every 5,000 years? No. Yeah. Or like any of the, no, if anything, I was more just like, I was more curious about like, we're getting all this backstory on this, this, you know, major backstory on like, past life Evie, I kind of wanted to know more about Rick. Like, that was what I was thinking. Like, not as much this time, the last couple times I was watching it. Um, I think it's more just, like, lack of character development that I found myself caring more about. Uh, I know you're correct that this isn't real. <laughs> but I just, like... <laughs> I know it's you're like, right. It's like it's like it's like damn, you put in a very valid argument. I know you're right. I just can't 100% say. I think it's because I feel like You don't want to agree I with it. I feel like the on the end of like artist side. Yes, I agree. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I also think if anything I thought I was just like does it make a ton of sense that so like uh Alex puts the bracelet on and it shows him First of all, it showed Giza, and then it said they they it showed them in Karnak. It's like, 
Okay, well, why was it showing Giza first? Is it that's where the bracelet was at one point? I I, I think that was just like a starting point. Okay, but then it shows the next place to go. And then he'll go to the next place and he'll show him the next place to go. And I'm like, yeah, why I not just, just show the far, the last place that actually is known I, and then show the next step? Yeah, the, yeah, I, that's what I want to know. Because like a couple of the spots are just like, oh, here's like this island fortress. Like, why... Why do I need to go here to go to? It it seemed like there was a lot of unnecessary steps. Yeah, like hunt. unless there's something and there. Half of it is seen and like, yeah, and half of it is seen through a montage. So there was really no reason for any of that, because it's just them following the the breadcrumbs that Alex is leaving behind. That how do the bad guys not know that he's building such elaborate sandcastle because <laughs> he hid it by his with his jacket duh how do, okay yeah <laughs> i just i don't understand like i know Wachna just d- wants to spend as little time with him as possible but jesus christ dude you are like the worst henchman or the you, yeah just the fact that he's not just the fact that he ha- isn't paying attention that he's not leaving breadcrumbs is just beyond stupid on his part i just think um i think the stuff on uh evie and uh ricks and i believe i agree though on the magi side and as well as like the lack of paying attention to alex on uh the mummies on team mummy like that seems kind of <laughs> unrealistic on, on team Imhotep. Um, see i agree there's a lot of things about this that just don't add up and don't make yeah. as much sense as they could. So I guess I'll have to go with, no, it's not real. <laughs> you, you sound so upset I'm like, by that. Like, I think it's because I know you're correct, but my brain doesn't want to say it. <laughs> um. But overall... Uh, so that being said, I would 100% recommend <laughs> yeah. this movie. Uh, 8.5 out of 10. I do love this movie. Uh, 8.5 uh, gooey mummies out Go- of 10. No, juicy. Uh, yeah, eh, close <laughs> enough. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the first one. I can't get all the references. I do, obviously... I mean, watch the first one first. Everyone, especially Rachel Weisz, looks like a baby. Uh, Brenda Fraser looks exactly oh, the yeah. same <laughs> in these two movies. Um... But yeah, these are really fun movies. Like if you haven't checked them out, I would. They're really fun to watch. Uh, I we, I definitely deem them a summer movie. But I mean, I guess again, you could watch it anytime. I feel like it's a movie that I'm supposed to watch during Halloween. But I'm like, no, it's not. It's not July. <laughs> I'm not gonna watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. This is this is definitely like 100 a summer movie yeah. for me. And last year... Which makes sense yeah. why we're doing it for a summer movie Last year I didn't watch the second Mummy, so this time I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch <gasps> the first one, and then I will watch the How second one you? and make an effort to watch them. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, now this movie, I... I cannot express how much this movie just kind of brings me joy like this movie this is just kind of like a very fun swashbuckling kind of tongue-in-cheek type movie that you can kind of just watch just at any point in time i just kind of associate it with summer because 
a lot of times on like road trips, like and like my mom's like van, we had a DVD player, and my sister and I would watch like this in the first Mummy movie like all the time, and like a couple other movies, but it was the Mummy was like our go-to like road trip summer like movie. I just feel um, like these were and, playing and I, on TV. I feel, all like, the time I feel like when I was younger. Yeah, that too. It, it just yeah, I I, I can't really during the associate summer. it with like yeah. I know. I, 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 yeah, I can't really associate it with like any other um, season other than summer now because of like the strong memories that I have watching this just on the road. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And um, if you guys like this episode, be sure to like, comment, subscribe. You guys can find us on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. St- uh, Stitcher. Yeah, take it away, Sam. I always uh, forget some of these. <laughs> Overcast? And uh, according according to uh, our friend Ben, uh, I guess Google Podcasts or Google Play, one of the two. Uh, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Pretty much wherever you guys can find a podcast, you guys can probably find us. And if not, you guys can always find us on Facebook. You guys can find us on Instagram. YouTube. You guys can always find us on like some like the yeah Instagram, all all that fun stuff. Um, so that being said, um, I guess that is the end of this episode for our summerathon type movies. Uh, join us next week where we talk about another summer sequel, Jurassic Park: The Lost World. Rawr. <laughs> Uh, yeah, roar! Great, great, great joke. Great, I, yeah, I couldn't even tell the difference. Yeah, <laughs> huh. clever girl. All right. Um, <laughs> on that note, I'm Kevin Tracy. I'm Samantha Tomlinson. You've been listening to Movie Real. Bye, bye, folks. <laughs>